This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, this is Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. This is the final episode of our mini rerun season, and I I hope it was as fun for y'all to look back as it was for me. Right now, we're still working on the next season of new episodes. We're really trying to figure out how we can build on what we've already done, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Who should we have on, be it a specific person or a type of comedian? Should we do more panels, more live shows? If so, where? Please let me know. Good One is the thing I'm most proud of in my career, and it means so much that you listen, so I am open. But uh, until then, we still have this week's episode, and it's my interview with Maria Bamford. I don't know, sometimes I think maybe Maria is the best stand-up comedian working right now. I I know I literally said that pretty lightly, but I don't say that lightly. Uh, I I don't know what it means for someone to be the best stand-up comedian, but a case can be made for Maria. She has a completely unique, revolutionary take on the art form, and the skill set, be it vocally, physically, joke-writing-ingly, to articulate her vision to a large audience, but not so large that she's forced to water herself down to appeal to people completely removed from her worldview, but significant. She, she is political in her way and just so undeniably personal. Her darkness is really dark, but she, she tells her story because one, that is who she is as an artist, and two, because she knows an audience could be bettered by it. For the joke we talked about on this week's rerun, she takes that last point literally as Maria didn't want to talk about a bit from one of her acclaimed, beloved albums or specials or a scene from her show Lady Dynamite. Maria wanted to talk about the convention speech she gave at the University of Minnesota in 2017. It might seem like an odd choice at first, but if you know Maria, which you're about to if not, it makes perfect sense, as it was a new way to explore maybe the two most prevalent themes of her work talking about things you're not supposed to in polite society, and a fascination with different audiences. Who's in them, how big they are, be it her parents, be it a stadium. Are they having fun? Are they not having fun? Why? All of this adds up to say there is no one like Maria Bamford, and comedy is better for having her. So here is Maria Bamford at the University of Minnesota commencement. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, hello. And uh, I completed my degree here in creative writing in 1993, and I hope the following words reflect that education. I am honored to be here. Thank you for listening. Uh, let me begin by talking about the elephant in the room at a liberal arts graduation ceremony, and that is money. As a Minnesotan, I am ashamed to admit that I love money. I love a fair exchange of goods and services. I love to buy things. I love to get paid. And also, perhaps unlike most people of Norwegian heritage, I love full disclosure. I love open book accounting. And what better way to combine these passions than by telling you the story of how I got paid to be speaking to you today. (laughs) Let us begin at the beginning. I will read a section of the email sent to me by the university inviting me here. 
I'm paraphrasing for time, there are a lot more outrageous compliments. Quote, we feel that as a graduate of the University of Minnesota, Maria is the perfect person to speak at the commencement. Clearly her path has taken her on to great success. And this is my emphasis. Normally, the college does not pay for commencement speakers. As you can imagine, being a state-funded institution, we have to be careful regarding the use of our resources. Well, I thought to myself, but I am a self-funded institution. Who needs to be careful regarding the use of my resources? Uh, was my alma mater lowballing me? I'm not a sitting governor, and the, the football coach isn't living check to check. My husband and I, we have two elderly, overweight dogs who need eye medication three times a day. Was the University of Minnesota College of Liberal Arts suggesting that I couldn't get paid for the exact job that they paid me, that I paid them how to... Oh gosh, was the University of Minnesota suggesting that I couldn't get paid for the exact job that I paid them to teach me how to get paid to do? That's what I meant. Well, of course not. This was just Goldie Gopher giving me a final exam, and this is a very important one. A postgraduate course in the art of salary negotiation I hope I passed. I went to my business advisor, uh, Mr. Elliot Kation. He is an Armenian-American uh, businessman living in West Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's an aluminum siding salesman and a 79-year-old father of my dear friend Jackie. I told him my story, he said, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten, which is, and you need to know this if you're gonna be a liberal arts major, never say no without a number. I went back to the U, I counter-offered with 20 grand. The university went dark. Two weeks to response, nice waiting game and came back with 10 grand. Elliot Cation wanted me to split the difference at 15,000, but I'm still from Duluth and filled with shame. And so I stand before you for the amount of $10,000. Now, after taxes and commissions, that's $5,000. It's the difference between gross and net. Other, also important to know, gross is the disgusting amount of money that you will never receive. Net is the little bag that you get to take home in your sweet little roll. Uh, I did, uh, I am gonna get paid in cash with a gun on the table afterwards. 
Uh, and uh, now, at this point, you may say to yourself, God, her voice is irritating. And how can I avoid becoming this crass, money-grubbing comedian from Duluth with a visible tremor after being on several psychiatric medications? Well, here is a list of very specific don'ts. Oh, and I just want to let you know, my salary uh, for today will affect you directly later on in the speech. Uh, these are things, if you don't want to become what you see before you, don't, don't do these things. Don't screw it up. Don't mess it up. Don't waste one minute. Don't, with your bachelor's from a fine college, work only in pizza for five years. Don't busk for change on the streets of La downtown Los Angeles playing a musical instrument poorly. Don't send your first tax return to the IRS with scrawling letters, sorry, exclamation point, smiley face, don't get it. Don't do a touring Star Trek show of the southern states of this great nation. Uh, where you have to say things like, Greetings, I'm Major Lelanka, the planet Bajor. Get the F away from me, all right? Don't date a Vulcan on said Star Trek show and get an STD. Uh, one of the most popular STDs you can get, actually, I assume 50% of you have it. Um, afterwards, uh, don't go to Planned Parenthood with that STD in Hollywood, and where the doctor says, how did you let it get so bad? You go to the Planned Parenthood in Hollywood, California, and the doctor says, how did you let it get so bad? Don't join five different 12-step support groups, none of which are AA, so people, people have to guess. Hey, what is there besides AA? Uh, don't move to Adelaide, Australia for a year in hopes of marrying a clown who is also bisexual and a meth addict. Uh, by the way, these are all things I have done, if I haven't made that clear. Uh, don't do your own bookkeeping and quicken in QuickBooks and get audited by the IRS five times. Turns out they owed me 25 bucks. Kablam! Uh, I may be eccentric, but I saved my receipts in a bucket. Don't move into a cockroach-infested uh, co uh, apartment where the landlord accepts sex for rent and then not have the money for rent. Wink. No, I was fine. I moved onto a friend's couch. Don't get fired by Warner Brothers, Nickelodeon, uh, Super Crown Bookstore, Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, the Tempe, Arizona Improv, a writing job for Martin Short, the TV show Hot in Cleveland with Betty White, and more to come. Don't leave jobs suddenly in tears. Harris Improv in Las Vegas, an hour before showtime in Chicago, or a TV commercial shoot for Target because you are overwhelmed and unable to talk. And this is actually pretty difficult, uh, at least it was for me. Don't try to kill yourself, either actively or passively. 
uh, do stay alive, even for spite. Uh, if anyone is thinking of suicide, don't do it. It's not the season for it. Late fall. I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you the statistics. All right. In other words, don't, don't, don't f it up. Or, if you're like me, do, and uh, keep trying. Uh, the crack, the cracks are where the light gets in. That which has been our greatest sorrow has been our deepest delight, or the historic chant from the movie Meatballs in 1980 starring Bill Murray, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Now, back to money. Uh, does anybody here have a debt to Sally Mae? Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. To, to receive an invoice is to know that you are alive. And uh, is anybody um, in the theater arts program that has a debt to Sally Mae? You, front row? Here, madam, how about you come up? Young lady, young lady. Um, uh, good hustle, good hustle. Thank you so much. Come on up here if you can. Uh, do, you, do you know, by the way, how much you are in debt for student loans? Not, not clear? Good to know, good to know. My husband uh, had debt for 17000 in 1992, and now uh, we just paid it off for 53000 this past year. So what I'm giving to you is a check for $5,000 written to Sa for Sally May. It's on, uh, has the address. Now, I could have given you more, madam. And what is your name? I'm so sorry. Elise, I could have given you more, but I did not uh, negotiate for myself a higher salary. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, congratulations. Have a great day. Thank you so much. So I'm here with the comedian behind that commencement speech, Maria Bamford. Thank you so much oh, for doing this. Thank you very much. I guess before we even get to the writing and the negotiation, I just wanted to get you know, what was your first reaction to just being asked to do the speech? Oh, I was so excited and honored. And it's it's neat because, I mean, I was amazed that I was able to graduate. So that felt, yeah, to feel like I was needed mm -hmm. for something always feels good. Do you remember your graduation? No, I didn't attend. I just got my thing in the mail. Who were you at that point? Who was the college graduate Maria well, Bamford. I was living in uh, I believe a cooperative called Bosch House after Euronymous Bosch renting a room for $140 a month but I was late a year in paying I had shaved my head for reasons of uh, fun and I think it was inexpensive and I would just kind of play my violin on the street not very well uh, for money, and that was how I was making money and playing. Uh, also, I worked part time at a Pizza Luce uh, place in downtown Minneapolis. So, and was otherwise doing one person shows. You know, you talk about the the specific negotiations, but I want to talk about. So you decide you want to do it, and you but you need money for it. And I kind of want to walk through the back and forth of the reasoning of you know why did you feel you needed to be paid and then also how did you pick $20,000 as your initial offer? Well, I'm 46 years old. I did not have a fully funded retirement account. 
our living expenses, including at retirement, or what I pay myself from our my company, Bamfuco Incorporated, which is an S corp, is a gross of thirteen five a month, which nets to seventy five hundred a month. In order for me to perform out of town to make it worth my while and be able to pay publicist a uh, 17.5% off of the gross in manager and agent fees to pay for hotel travel. I need to make about 25 grand a month to pay myself and my employees. Also, I think it's important to get paid. I am an almost millionaire. Uh, a millionaire is when you have beyond what you have in a uh, an asset. So, for example, even if you own a, own a house outright, the technical division uh, <laughs> definition of a millionaire is somebody who has a million dollars in cash fluid assets. I did so, not know that. <laughs> well, interesting. <laughs> yes. um, so uh, we have about uh, 700000 in cash assets. My parents, who have just retired in northern Minnesota, and are living okay. They live in a, th- a three-bedroom, two-bath house, so when they get to travel and have a good life and have good health insurance, they have about $2.5 million in assets for retirement. So what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that for me to do a job for free is a br- grandiose. And if the University of Minnesota is truly a nonprofit, you know, that's struggling for money and, and perhaps the college of liberal arts is maybe they're not getting any uh, funding from the rest of the foundation, which I know they are raising about $600 million for a new athletic facility. There is a lot of money there as a school. It looks like people could live there. Like it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's everything's looking good. As far as I can tell, As far as being an independent contractor, I found that when people do pay for something, sometimes um, there can be more appreciation of it. (laughs) And I also did some internet research of what commencement speakers who are not congressmen or not public servants already are paid. They're usually paid between five and up to a hundred grand. So I realize I am a public servant of some sort, um, but I'd also prefer to give my money to to where I want to give it, um, to not donate. University of Minnesota, although it was a great place for me to attend and I'm glad I finished there, I'd rather give money to homeless resources in in my neighborhood or directly to the students, which is what... Ended up happening. Ended up happening. So you seem to be really into sort of money not sorts of money in terms of like i want it but in terms of like the idea of sort of the public's relationship with money or people's relationships with yeah money. or full disclosure and open book accounting and not that i have no idea what i'm doing and yeah. i am you know, nobody to look up to you know and obviously i have you know on, on some level it may be creepy or bragging and then uh on the other level it's like well yeah, like lack of privacy. I know people feel like, yeah, just everyone has different opinions about money, but they're very strong. And so that's very interesting to me <laughs> how how uh, strong it is. Yeah. And that something that has such strong feelings about isn't spoken about. Yeah. Well, it's like anything. It's interesting because even when you put it that way, it's like it's 
you've had a career where there's certain sort of taboos that you've voiced. And this is like the one that is so much more commonplace and that everyone is interacting with money is even less spoken about in po- in like polite society. Yeah, that it's um, seen as like I remember I got an email of somebody saying it, uh, my email address used to be nice lady L.A. Big mistake. <laughs> and because uh, I do I do want to be seen as a nice, generous, loving human being. Uh, of course, I am not all those things, but mm-hmm. oh well. And um, they said, if you're a nice lady, then will you please come perform at this thing for 300 bucks? in an outlying city that would take about a thousand bucks to get there. And I said, no. (laughs) And and they were so bummed. Oh, we love you so much. We love you so much. And I think, especially as artists, there is this idea or uh, guilt of like, if you love what you do, you should want to do it anytime, anywhere. Well, yeah, but I think there's also you can create uh, boundaries for yourself of like, I don't want to perform for less than 250 bucks uh, west of La Brea, you know, like (laughs) in Los Angeles. I've lived here for 23 years. I'm done. I'm done. Like Santa Monica is now like a foreign gig. Like if you're going to Santa Monica, that's like basically. Yeah, but unless there's something that's really interesting about it for me, um, uh, it's okay. I I can let it go. And I'm sure that hurts me creatively, hurts me as a business, but but also... Part of my vision is to be a small business owner. I'm not interested in becoming a, a brand in, mm-hmm. in much in so much as like, oh, you know, we've got t-shirts, mugs, we got. I, mean, I do have a t-shirt, but like, yeah, like I, underwear that says like underwear. From- yeah, all the things that would say things from my act or something. I would prefer that people would make that stuff on their own. Like that's my vision: is that people would use their creativity rather than buying something. Take, yeah, pair of your own underwear and make it your Maria Bamford underwear. That, that, my friends, I would pay you for that merch. That's what I'm saying. I'm the comedian who buys <laughs> yeah. your merch. No, it's interesting. I mean, even like preparing for this interview, I've heard other interviews where we talk about money and it made me think about my own relationship in that like, I'm like, I can't believe anyone pays me to write. So I accept any amount of money. And it it's still very hard for for me to be like, um, what that my part of it is the value. Like, oh, I'm providing a thing that you're like, oh, that has a value that other people might want, not just like allow anyone who will give me anything for it. And I think a lot of, as you said, a lot of artists need to learn that lesson. You're speaking to people that are going to have to figure that out. Yeah. And obviously I have people who represent me now who are paid negotiators, who that is their skill, that is their joy in life. But what I can do as a brain dead megaphone, as they say, uh, or as George Saunders says, is um, I can at least share what I'm being paid, um, share what all the openers are being paid, um, what all the costs of the venue are. Like I can at least share those things, uh, with other performers. And, um, yeah, I make less than some people more than somebody else. It could go down. It could go up. It doesn't really matter, but I think the openness about it is it is helpful to me because like I've had those moments where like my my business has made a lot more money in the past several years and so 
for some reason, every year there's this form called 941 that the pay- payroll, they file it in the first quarter rather than the last quarter. And I'll get this giant tax bill of like 57, for me, it's giant tax, but 57,000 this year. And they'll say things like the IRS uses beautiful language. We will seize your property. <laughs> we will come, you know, we are coming today. Agent has showed up on the door. Um, and the amount of anxiety that that brought, it always turns out, or at least the past few years, it's always turned out that they're like, oh, yeah, it's just the quarterly thing. We, it happened again. It's totally fine. We already paid it. It's done. But my uncle killed himself as he was a million dollars in debt to the IRS. And I think he had other issues too, obviously had depression, but I think people feel overwhelmed, isolated, afraid when you have uh, any sort of money issues. And so that's, that's why I think it's, it's good to talk about it. The good parts about it and, you know, everything in between and, and, and the bad parts like, um, you know, being in debt. I've been in debt for health stuff where they're calling you all the time and telling you that you're worthless in every sort of way. And and that we do have laws in our country that you can write everyone a letter and say, please don't contact me by home at home. And I will send you a letter and a payment every month. And I, I took me five years, but I paid off this medical bill at $2 a month. And uh, it was hilarious. Sometimes they'd send the check back, which was very funny. And um, But yeah, to live with dignity, with those kind of things, you know, doing negotiation, the art of negotiation, which I had not learned as a woman, especially like you just, oh, just be nice. Just be nice about it. You know, and that is exactly what the response I got back from um, the university and not so many words was, oh, wow, we've never had anyone ask to get paid, which I thought was very surprising. Never had anyone ask. Okay, well, that's too bad. You know, like. (laughs) Well, now they're going to get a lot more. Yeah. yeah, um, um, Yeah. And that it was odd to ask to, to get paid to do something that is is at a certain amount of work it's 15 minutes of hopefully new material material hopefully the person isn't just um just scrounging up some uh, old speech that they did for something else and if i came from a place where i didn't need the money where i had my you know retirement fully funded and i was a yeah. Anyways, there's just all sorts of things to say about that. Yeah. I did want to ask, there's there's one specific joke, which is the, they call it gross because it's a dis- disgusting amount of money that you will never take home. <laughs> yes. That, is, I mean, it's funny because I I literally have spent now 30 whatever years not knowing the difference between net and gross. Oh. And now I will always know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. No, I didn't, I didn't know that either. And the fact that no one gives you a heads up, like... That I was really, I mean, basically with having a television show, two um, seasons of it, getting a television show for me was like winning the lottery. And that's for producing and starring? Yes. But there was no one who took me aside and said, hey, save half that. (laughs) I knew to do that or asked, you know, had some people to ask, but it took me a long time to learn that like even um when i yeah when i was starting out as an artist like to i think i was only earning maybe nine thousand a year or 
and I didn't realize that I'd have to pay tax on that. And, and, and I still feel confused by it. Like I have, um, talked to so many accountants. I've taken two bookkeeping classes and there's something about my brain that has a hard time taking the information in. And there's also the process part of it where taxes are never really paid tomorrow. Like we're in the next day and you're already earning more and you're already spending more, which bothers me. Like I always just want to be done with something. And it's like, you're not done to your, till you're dead. So uh, <laughs> how do you normally write your act and how did you go about writing this? I think it, you know, comes from the, the place of feeling sorry for myself or, you know, or, or mm. you know, internal uh, justified anger or something where, which is absolutely ridiculous. But, and then, uh, Jackie's dad did say Mm -hmm. when he did say actually that you should have said split the difference and then you should have said uh, you know let's go 17 5 let's go 15 and then okay this is the best i can do for you 12 5 and then finally settle with that and then walked if it hadn't been 12 5 which i think he's correct but i'd already felt so embarrassed and guilty about asking yeah so, but yeah, so I thought I'd just write about that process, like all the the feelings and the kind of like, and, and that I think I have a personal connection to Minnesota and feeling about like, oh, you, geez, well, you aren't you fancy pants out in LA just asking for whatever you want. <laughs> you have a house. You should, you should give, you should give your time. The University of Minnesota, they need you with the golden gopher. You know, just that sort of like, you've got to be a nice person. But I think I'm not doing anybody any favors if I did something resentfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so those are the feelings that went into it. And then that went into the the writing of it. And it's nothing against specifically about the University of Minnesota. Sure. I think it's just about the process of of getting paid and I had been paid by other universities extremely well. Yeah. So that was very surprising that uh, my own alma mater really low me. <laughs> and that like, discrepancy was like, there's was something like, there. Uh, you Penn gave me 17 grand and uh, Stanford gave me 10,000 for just like 20 minutes in a, you're like, what? Like, <laughs> You don't want me to do two ceremonies and but also yeah, the still the feelings of uh guilt. But then and then I like the idea of then um turning it into sort of a biblical lesson of like, well, whatever you negotiate for, that's what you can give away. Yeah. So the idea of giving away the money that I negotiated for myself, uh, was hilarious, I yeah. thought. <laughs> It also is so self uh, abnegating or whatever. Yeah. Like just like I deserve nothing, anyways. <laughs> it's like you spent this entire time convincing us yeah, that you should be paid money. Then on a, oh no, you have it. <laughs> but then, so you, you sort of had the concept of it. But even like on a like a bare bones level, how do you actually sort of get the words to be the words that you say? I think just just saying saying things to myself. <laughs> Uh, you know, just walking around saying it, writing down beats of stuff. I do that artist way, you yeah. write three pages a day and just writing down different points I wanted to make or, 
or what the jokes were to me and mm-hmm. uh, then just performing it, seeing it over and over again. And so you performed the commencement speech yeah. at venues. Oh, different venues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it at Largo and uh, a bunch of times at this, uh, um, there's this place at the clubhouse. I do shows at mm-hmm. 4 p.m. Uh, again. They're, oh, and that's a show that I perform for free. It's uh, it's an hour long show, perform for free. But the reason I do it for free is because it's extremely useful for me as a comedian. It's early in the day. I don't have to stay up all night. I can work on new material. I can, you know, um, yeah, really do better rewriting. And the people who want to see it are specifically there. Like, it's not like, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, so it's really worthwhile t- to me. The gig for commencement speech was effortful, frightening. No one could hear it. I I couldn't hear either the students who did a beautiful job before me. They had these tremendous stories from what I could kind of glean Mm -hmm. from every word that I caught. That's work. That's going to be a job. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back with more Maria Bamford after this word from our sponsor. I wanted to ask about kind of your relationship to audience i mean you you talk about it a couple times in your your last special of like the idea of the comedian that can make any anyone laugh they like grind out their jokes until the comedian until they everyone laughs at whatever the concept they originally had and you obviously still do a version of that you're trying out the things but do you i mean what is your sort of relationship to that in terms of who, how much do you need for you to feel like, okay, this is a thing that works? What is your relationship to the audience as a collaborator in that process? I don't know. Um, things are going really well now, so it could be hubris. But I do, yeah, I, I guess I just, like, I've, I've been trying out new jokes, but they, they go very well at the 4 p.m. show. And then when I'm out on the road, it's much, much harder sell. But they're slowly getting better. And but I'm not I, I'm definitely not for everybody. Uh, and I would doubt anybody's for everybody, like even the top comedians in the world. There's going to be somebody who goes, uh, yeah, uh, not my cup of tea, <laughs> you know, like whether that's because of a language barrier yeah. or <laughs> they can't see or hear them like, <laughs> but, but I do, I think I do get jealous of people who have a lot of confidence. And so that is me. Uh, that joke's more about your relationship to their confidence. than Yeah. Confidence. And, and, and I think the thing like, and the idea that if you work hard enough, you can make anyone laugh. Like, or you, like if you work hard enough as an artist or whatever it is, you can make anyone like you. That, that just has not been my experience. <laughs> and, and I'm just wondering if it's a worthwhile pursuit for me anyways, to want to make everyone have a great time. <laughs> you know, you have two specials that sort of play with where comedy is performed the one you performed for your parents and then the, the most recent one which you perform first for yourself in the mirror then to your husband then friends and then all the way up yeah, to yeah. a theater and it's really interesting because one it's a special so they're all filmed a certain way to sort of like hypothetically lift this comedian up to be like look all these other people oh, are like 
but also like the sort of the the and it's, it's like the contract of which how comedy was worked which is like these jokes are made to be laughed at to people do you i mean i guess the sort of i mean obviously your goal is to make people laugh in some capacity or to be entertained but i think how how much it is also you're expressing yourself in the matter of how who's there is though not uh, unimportant is equally as important as what you're getting out of it yeah it's equally important what i'm getting out of it like i i if i don't believe in it or aren't having fun or uh it isn't meaningful to me i mean obviously it's like any job you're gonna have some days that you're a little bit like off but yeah i i want to be having a wonderful time and i i just I, i i do like the idea of just doing it to one person, doing it to a few people that just because people's perception of something changes so much, mm-hmm. whatever venue put it in. And I think just e- how your perception of whether something's valuable, funny, uh, beautiful is d- dependent on like, Oh, is there a mask for people, people? And then some people feel like a prejudice, the opposite way. Oh, the less people that like it, that's what I'm into. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it seems like too many people like this yeah. joke and might, it shouldn't be, it's not for me then. Well, wait a minute. It's not specific enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend, my friend Amy always tells a story about how she met me and she'll say, I started this thing and I was like, well, good for you. I mean, I guess if you're going to try that. And then I started this other show and more people there and I was like, oh, she's all right. And then I saw you at a show in New York and it was on TV and it was amazing and I thought you were amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And it it is the exact same jokes. I mean, it's not like... (laughs) It's like, oh, I saved my giant jokes where I do like... (laughs) Same material. The same stuff. What was the feeling going into... This is a, a space of... I imagine tens of thousands of people and the likelihood that they all know, have some semblance of who you are is incredibly unlikely. Oh, well, uh, with the commencement, At the commencement Oh yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I knew that was going to go poorly in terms of like me feeling great afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I felt, I felt like I did an okay job. I said the words that I wanted to say, but I didn't, I, I didn't, I, I feel like I kind of, I was pretty nervous and, yeah, it was hard for me to hear whether yeah. there was anybody, whether they could hear or if there are any laughs. Um, I know I, I, there was one big laugh about like the the football coach isn't living check to check. That got a <laughs> laugh. And uh, <laughs> there's two sections of the in like there's the the money part, and there's sort of the list of things not not to, to do. do. Yeah, <laughs> what made you do include that part of it? Um. I don't know. Those ideas just came to me as a, as a funny thing, but I think they were so, I realized with the families there, I kind of forgot how many families would be there. And I was like, Oh, this may be too saucy. Yeah. That I added some jokes that I thought anyways, they, they go over well in Los Angeles, but I think it's a little too much. Yeah. And I guess I wanted to say with those things, it's okay to, at least as far as I'm concerned, it's okay to make horrendous mistakes mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Uh, I don't know which, yeah, at least that's, that would have been comforting to yeah. me, for me to hear. I wanted to ask you about sort of your relationship to your own thoughts in so much as I've heard you talk about sort of 
having a, a version of OCD where you have intrusive yeah, yeah, thoughts, yeah, yeah. which is um, a thing that I have had. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this podcast called Invisibilia where they where they did a segment on it and sort of oh. being, and they're like, oh, they're just not real. You don't have yeah, to think yeah, they're yeah, real yeah, just because yeah, you yeah. have the thought. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that immediately made my life. 15% better. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, yes. But I think the same thing, maybe it happens you, as then you're trying to then create and you have to like be like, okay, thoughts, now I'm going to indulge. I'm going to. Well, and mine were based it, mostly in social anxiety. All my uh, unwanted thoughts came around like anytime I was with people, it was actually, they'd kind of go away uh, when I was by myself. I would get unwanted violent sexual thoughts. Usually when I was alone with uh, females, uh, children, (laughs) I'm not sure if that's because certain, yeah, my mom, my sister, I felt uncomfortable with. Yeah. So those were the things that were Mm -hmm. triggering and in social situations, you know what? Yeah. Anything that's not structured. I love podcasts. I love a structured <laughs> social interaction. I love a group. I love stand up. Like those things really give me comfort. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as the unwanted thoughts thing, I mean, yes, yeah, s- something that helps me focus. But I have, yeah, I have to have uh, structures in place. Mm-hmm. I was curious about this, and, and and I was wondering if maybe you can speak on therapy as a sort of creative tool in so much as i always think that like any memoirist should thank their therapist for sort of helping them yeah, 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 yeah. and i didn't know if that responded to you as a person who has gone through a certain amount of programs totally yeah no because um it's like writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and going okay what really happened what is yeah what exactly is it that's going on inside of me and i don't know i haven't been to individual therapy for for a few years just because I haven't felt like I've had anything to really work on. I'm, I'm in uh, a number of anonymous support groups, which I cannot tell. <laughs> I mean, I could tell people what I'm in, but apparently you're not supposed to say which ones you're in because then what if somebody wants to join it and they're like, oh, I'd never join if they did. To which I want to sit all 12-step groups. Nobody wants to join these groups. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, so I, I've done some work with that, and I'm an atheist, by the way. Uh, if uh, at twelve step groups, I usually I just I change all the words uh, <laughs> to, uh, which is fun because I'm an anxious person anyway, so I can change higher power or God or to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, <laughs> uh, Meat Lovers Pizza, uh, <laughs> whatever seems more powerful than me at this <laughs> sure. at this time. <laughs> You, you talked about how, you know, there's certain sort of sexual things that are odd to do, maybe hard to do in front of families, but sort of the the more melt, the mental illness parts that you went through. You know, you said like, oh, this is a big one. Like, don't attempt to commit suicide. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you feel about doing that in this context? And how did I mean, it's hard to get, as you said, it's hard to get any response. But so how was it sort of just for you? It was it was OK. It just it, it felt it, it felt like I, it was probably the wrong crowd or the wrong place to do it just because it is just like people are just there to celebrate that they've had made this huge accomplishment. Um, their families have sacrificed a lot of time and money and uh, to support them. And 
And so to like be doing a stand up set or doing any jokes at all seems a little um, silly, but it, it, to uh, whoever was listening, that's why I try to think about it. I think, well, maybe somebody was listening. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, you know, specifically about the narrative, the sort of of you struggling and then eventually kind of breaking through. And then now you're sort of on the other side of it. You know, it's you walk through it a little bit in the speech. It's the subject of at least the first season of Lady Dynamite. It makes up a, a good deal of your last special. You know, what is your relationship to it as a subject, I guess, for art? And what is sort of the value you kind of see in telling it to people? Oh, well, this is a quote by Brenda Euland, who is a Minnesota writer from the 1920s. And I like what she said about, like, why do you make anything? Why do you, I think the quote goes, uh, why do we use all our creative power and write or paint or play music or whatever it tells us to do? Because there's nothing that makes people so generous, lively, bold, and compassionate, so indifferent to fighting and the accumulation of objects and money, because the best way to know the truth or beauty is to try and express it. And uh, I don't know, obviously, I'm not indifferent to money or fighting. Mm -hmm. uh, but on a personal level, this makes my my life meaningful to add, you know, make a story of it. You know, I think that's what everybody does. Mm -hmm. If I can make myself laugh and have uh buy a house, then awesome. <laughs> Giving away the money part of it. You said you just, you figured out that'd be a good ending. Well, it's also showboating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love, I love to be generous in front of a crowd. <laughs> oh, God. It is an interesting mix of <laughs> so uh, both being puffing yourself up and oh. doing something good you'd be like look it's so disgusting but that's it that was one of the first memories i have of money is that i put a 20 dollar bill in the collection plate like i you know i don't i think i just gotten it as like a gift i mean i don't think i had even saved it and i kind of was like can we see that like <laughs> what was in in church and the little kid and i still have i still have that longing did did you get to speak to the person you gave the money to at all after? No, I, uh, I felt so ashamed after my speech that I I left immediately. We ran for the ran for the hills. <laughs> it's interesting. It then got online in some as these things do, and it was wonderful. We wrote about it. I thought it was beautiful. I think I, I cried the first time I watched it. Oh, that's nice. Oh, so cool. I'm a, I'm a crier, but it's interesting that you picked it, even though you didn't. In your mind, is like this thing bombed, and you're still like, oh yeah, no, I felt like I bombed, but it's okay, you know. Or, or it was so funny because I was worried about who was gonna raise their hand, and. All it was, I just saw two hands, like there's no other hands, just one girl, and then another girl was just one hand, and that's all I saw. And it was just like, oh my God, and they just scooted on up there, and it was just so sweet. Graduation speeches are by design, you know, meant to inspire the future minds of <laughs> society or whatever. But I mean, I think I have to imagine working on a thing like this where you specifically have to think in these ways has to have some value to you, has to be edifying some ways. What do you think you got out of specifically this project? What do you think you might've learned from this specifically? That I do, I do want to talk about that as a subject and I'm not really sure how or 
how to do it without being offensive to other people. And also, which basically is this very, like, I want to do it in a way where everyone will like me. <laughs> uh, that is what I'm trying to say. But like somebody I really admire, I love Susie Orman, although I did not agree with a lot of her uh, philosophy. I did agree with the clarity of, oh, like, yeah, it was really and and specifics like i love that about comedy specifics like when people go mention yeah and then i i went to the copper keg liquor store it's like oh yeah like (laughs) tell me exactly what it was you know i got a an orange sun sun bleached liquor store notebook yeah (laughs) and like 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 details and i think that's fun about numbers too like going so i try experimented telling people what i'm earning at shows (laughs) oh like how much you got paid for the show show. yeah that uh like uh let me see i was at la brea and i got a 85 15 door split and uh i think a I want to say it was a $2,000 guarantee. It was a Sunday night show. Uh, I paid the opener 600 I want to say after that, that I net, I think I net around after taxes and commissions about, I think it was about almost three grand. So it's just interesting. It's super <laughs> interesting. And yeah, it's fun. My husband and I, we have a 10 year old car uh, and one car amongst, we don't, you know, live high on the hog. Uh, we own our house outright and uh, we bought a new house. We're buying that, owning that outright. We don't have any debt and we don't have, uh, we have a credit card that we pay off every, uh, every time we pay, spend anything on it or pro- I prepay it. I often prepay our American Express two grand a month so that we're never in debt. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's fun. You, yeah. I mean, you really do come off as so inspired by the topic of oh, I love like, it it's so interesting my husband's just like oh my god please stop but it, I just I do find it, it and I think and it probably comes from some pride that I think I am I feel like oh I, I've, I've done a good job like in trying to manage my like at least I haven't thrown it burning into the street um, I've done versions of that like buying lots of clogs online where I wasn't clear what my size was I've certainly done that but um, <laughs> and then uh, do you think you, would you ever do another commencement I'm sure I would if I if I needed the cash for sure uh, of course I would earn or burn my friend earn or burn gotta be willing <laughs> <laughs> So that sound means it's time for our final segment, uh, the laughing round. So it's like a lightning round, okay, but because great. it's comedy, it's a laughing round. Okay, okay. And that's very funny, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite fart noise to make? Okay. Um, I think the one when you do it into somebody's belly, like... <laughs> like that, but you have to have somebody's belly skin there, so I can't do it properly. But that is my favorite. <laughs> what is the oldest joke and it could be or area that you can remember and the newest joke that you can remember of yours? Uh, the oldest is I did. Uh, I used to take out uh, f- photos, actual physical photos of my family and then <laughs> would throw them over my shoulder <laughs> as I spoke about them. <laughs> that was one of the first things I did. And then um, saying that they were. uh all doctors, which they 
are, you know, yeah. they, my, my mom is a, was a mental health professional, but, uh, that was my jokes. Uh, the most recent, I'm doing one about this therapy thing that my parents taught my husband and I on a tr- cruise to Norway called caring and sharing, which can sometimes be a lot more sharing than it is caring. If you could be another comedian for a set, so sort of like mm. quantum leap into their body mm. as they're performing their act. So you mm-hmm. don't have to then like <laughs> do your act as that person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who would you want to be? Okay. Um, because I'm terrible at crowd work, I would love to be Paula Poundstone or Todd Bear. Do you have a joke that never once worked or barely ever worked, but you really believe will be funny, but at this point you come, you'll never do again, but you'll always... Oh, I have longing that it will... <laughs> well, the one first one that comes to mind is like, I I had this idea that... It's, I just wish it got a bigger laugh of like the... That a GIF or GIF is like a flame that never goes out. It's like, it's like a record. It's a a sign that you love people, a thing that you can always have, that they can always have. It says, I love you. Okay. 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 And I always just thought that was such a power visual, visual for me. That's like this, the candle outside the tomb of the unknown soldier. And I was like, yeah, we can't remember everybody who's stacked up by back here, but we got, we still got this going. And I keep hoping that we'll get like this giant laugh. <laughs> it doesn't. But what does get a good laugh is uh, I always like to wash, walk past uh, the Arlington National Cemetery and say, what happened? <laughs> and, I mean, it's crazy, right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Good One. Follow Maria on Twitter at Maria Bamfu and on Instagram at Maria Bamford Comedy. Good One is produced by me and Mike Comite. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write our view and write the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.